everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Tales from Stringersburg. With us today, we have Leonard Pimentel, uh, one of the, the lead designer for uh, Prowlers and Paragons, the new system that we switched over to. Very nice to meet you, Lynn. My pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. So today we're just going to do a little Q&A, talk about the system, kind of your guys' process and everything that's Try to pick your brains a little bit, if that's cool. Absolutely. If if I may, I, I want to start by asking about the intro to the Ultimate Edition. Len, that was you that wrote that, right? Yes, that's correct. I got to tell you, um, you know, Drew let me know that he had contacted you all, and you guys had generously given us the uh, advanced copy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to go right from the first word. And uh, that intro was just so heartfelt and so well-crafted. It really sold me on – I mean, I was kind of already sold. But uh, I, I just really uh, respected the hell out of the writing there. And it sounded like from the jump you had a really strong commitment to the genre and to game design and had a lot of history with it. So um, you want to start by maybe telling us a little bit about like how you got started in – the business of game design and superhero games specifically? Uh, well, sure. Uh, first, thank you very much. That's incredibly kind of you. I actually heard you say that on the podcast, and immediately I sort of paused and told my wife because it made me very happy. Uh, as, as, you know, as a person who writes this stuff, it's nice when someone is moved. You know, normally expect someone to read something and be moved in a role-playing game, but uh, but it's certainly what I felt when I was writing the intro, and I was writing it kind of giggling to myself. I'm like, this is just for me, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it is what it is. So, um, uh, so I'm I'm if it moved you as well, that makes two of us, I guess, and so I'm happy about that. Um, so, so thank you for your for your kind words. Sure. Um, as to your question as to how I got started. Uh, I have compulsively dithered on role-playing games since almost I started playing them. Um, I, when I got the Marvel superheroes game from TSR back in the day, the yellow box, Oh yeah. I wrote pages and pages of modifications and sent them to TSR suggesting that they incorporate my modifications into their changes. And thankfully they didn't, didn't. <laughs> did what they actually did, which was, you know, a lot better, frankly. But, uh, but, um, yeah, so, so, and then, uh, for a while, Star Wars had fallen out of popularity and I, I also doodle and draw a little bit in my spare time. And I drew this alien and kind of like, you know, I kind of want to do a Star Wars thing. And I started working on a Star Wars role-playing game. And, uh, you know, I, once again, thankfully, West End Games showed up and stomped all over my dreams. <laughs> uh, but that kind of dynamic has been occurring for the last, you know, harumph harumph years. And uh, finally, at some point with just, you know, the, the publishing evolving into the way it has and, and the magic of drive through RPG, I just said, you know, screw it. I'm going to do some stuff on my own. Um, I'm being careful of my language. Um, you, you, don't, you don't have to be. I wouldn't worry about that. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm still going to try to be, but, you know, for the kids. But <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I'll, just, I'll so, just drop a few fuck bombs and easy. Hey, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> so for a long time, I was designing my own game as every game designer is designing their own game and, you know, honing it. In fact, I just told my little guy uh, who's eight, 
Um, I don't remember what the context is, but one of the moments of dad's imparting wisdom talked to him about how the fact I'd been working on this role playing game for years and it was in a briefcase and the car got broken into and the briefcase was stolen. And at that time, you know, he had it on discs. And so it was also on discs, but the discs were in the briefcase too. Everything was gone. Mm-hmm. And I had to reset and start everything entirely from scratch. And uh, it was awful, but it was also wonderful because uh, everything that came after was so much better than the garbage I was hanging on to previously. But in any case, but I was one of those guys who's working on his perfect RPG for years and years and years and years and stumbled across John Wick, who basically yelled at me through YouTube. I mean, he did it in a nice way, but he basically looked at me. I mean, I know he was just making a YouTube video, but in that moment, he was looking at me personally. Mm-hmm. He said, better is the enemy of done. And I'm like, yeah. um, and at that point, I'm like, I'm going to get this done. But again, as one of those people who's working on their own perfect RPG forever, the super genre seemed to be the obvious thing because if it's a generic game and it covers everything, you got to cover powers. You almost design a supers game by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I decided it was going to be a supers game and take all this garbage I had done and sort of try to coalesce it into something that made sense and was smooth and was operative and it was, you know, you're talking about a system that had been clinking and clanking around for 20 years, refined and revised and hashed and then trashed and re- whatever. So in any case, after John Wick yelled at me through YouTube, um, I said, I'm going to get this done. And I got it done, and I was in a position to be able to to pay for a wonderful artist named Jerry Gaylord to do the art for me. And I decided to get it done and put it up and, and sort of see what happens. And I actually wrote another game while waiting for the art to be done and so on. And I actually threw that other game up first. Um, uh, uh, but but in any case, that's sort of how it evolved. John Wick yelled at me, I guess, was the answer. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of your previous ones, you've done... Uh, first edition PNP, you did TNT, the narrative toolbox, which was kind of a generic setting almost anyway, narrative first. Yeah, like a very generic narrative RPG. Yeah, uh, Hughesville High, uh, Magnum, and Six Gun Fury. And it seems like you've been focused for quite a while on narrative first role playing, which it seems like a majority of the companies and everything are starting to head that way so it, it, how, how do you feel about that um i'm an rpg ho i like all not all let's, let's be honest most but quite a lot of role-playing games um and there'll be times i will want to play a light and fluffy game uh and there will times i want to play a light narrative game and there will be times that i want to play a game that has a bit more crunch and a bit more precision if not realism mm-hmm. although sometimes you can say a bit more realism it just depends on the game um there will be times when i want to manage uh, 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 i want to manage stuff uh there'll be times when i just want to tell a story um i have my limits in terms of what i like narrative and what i don't that's not right or wrong that's just where the slider happens to fall for yeah me. uh so uh, but as it happens at the time that i sort of started doing all this stuff um, I had really kind of fallen in love with the narrative element uh, and, and the ability to um, um, use narrative control as a way to run a role-playing game. Uh, uh, so I just started playing with that because it felt, I think everybody, when it's, we stumbled across it in whatever form, when you first stumbled across the idea, 
you were both like, this is brilliant, and this is kind of what we've been doing for a while anyway, if you've been gaming for a while. Yeah. But the codification of it in a way that was simple and workable and actionable at the table was really neat. And different people did it different ways, but I think we all, when we stumbled across it, were like, wow. Uh, anyway, and so so I started doing it you know, like that. But I mean, so you know, I have a... a, a PNP didn't start as narrative as it ended up being. Mm -hmm. I thought it worked well for super genre, but you'll notice that the combat system was very is very non. Uh, uh, not that there's no narrative in it, but there, it's definitely more of a. I hate to call it crunchy, but it's a bit more tactical anyway. There's a bit more than yeah. just I get to describe what happens and you get to describe what happens when it comes to actual combat. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice mix, I think, of crunch and narrative with the way the roles work with a, a system that is well fleshed out so you can kind of get a little bit of both. So it's a little well, bit of both, which is kind of what I, I, what I think I like, but I have a 200 page game that is just for me and my friends because it's an IP that is already owned by someone else that no one ever else is going to see, but I love the game and it, there's nothing narrative about it. Mm -hmm. It's a mean, nasty, everybody's, you know, it's a mean game for a mean world. So, but it works and, you know, and, and so I, I, I like them all. I don't have a, you know, again, I like the most about that. Well, I I think one thing that uh, a couple of things that struck me when you were talking about Star Wars a minute ago, I thought of Fantasy Flight system with Edge of the Empire. A friend of mine ran that here a couple years ago, and what seems like an interesting distinction between what they're doing and what you're doing in PNP Ultimate is their narrative dice are there whatever you're doing combat piloting a spaceship you know ancient artifact stuff whatever but in ultimate edition you you set out a, a pretty clear delineation you're like you can stop narrative time and go to combat time and it's like you you know they they don't blur as other systems do we used to play uh drew and i used to play and run exalted and when they did second edition of that, they were like, we're going to make co social stuff like combat. And it was an interesting idea, but it turned out horrible. It's like, let's take the crunchiest, most time-consuming part of this system and inflict it on stuff that it – so I think you guys made a really good decision to keep those separate. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, um, here, I'll give you a little secret as to how I write. Um, I – put lots of hack suggestions into the game without ever telling you it's a hack suggestion. So I put lots of things in the game that if you take a look at it and you step back, you're like, you know, I could do this other thing this way. Huh. Uh, without telling you, hey, here's an option you could, because I don't, um, one, I find games that suggest rather than tell more interesting. That's a very personal thing. So there's a couple of, I was just having this conversation a day or two ago about something else actually in PNP, but there's a couple of things in PNP, depending on how closely you read it, where you may well look at it and go, I wonder if I could do this with that, or if I could use this thing in this context. And the answer is yes, almost, almost invariably, but rather than sort of drown you in, you can do this or that or that, I'm, it's there. And if you find it and you, you know, uh, so in any event, um, I say that to say, Yes, you could do both, and I wanted the clear delineation. It doesn't take much to realize if you're like, forget the crunchy combat, you could totally use the fluffy narrative for mm. combat. And if you don't like the fluffy narrative, you could totally use the crunchy combat for regular skill checks and so on. I mean, that sure. is actually spelled out in the game because some people wanted a little assistance in that regard. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but by delineating them clearly, I think you actually have more options because you literally could go full narrative, full, let's call it task resolution oriented, mm. or you can blend it to whatever flavor you want. Yeah. And we've used that a little bit also with the, um, mechanic of you can half your dice pool and those are your auto successes. So we've been using that with like mooks or, or mundane people. Like if your score is just over theirs, then we don't worry about it and just say, you know, because sometimes dice can be unforgiving. Yeah, but that's thanks to um, Ubiquity system, Hollow Earth Expedition. Absolutely fantastic role-playing game, which everyone mm-hmm. should own. Everyone should go buy two copies of it because it's fantastic. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, uh, that's where I think I, I think that might have been where I first saw that. I'm almost sure it is. And I thought like, wow, talk about expediting. I mean, I guess you could say the D20 system taking 10, kind of the same thing of that. And it's maybe just that taken to sort of logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm glad that, that you found that useful. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been doing, um, a bit of D and D fifth edition. And one of the things that they got wrong was de-emphasizing take 10. I mean, they've done a lot of other stuff, right. I think, but, um, that was, that was something that they put more up front in previous editions. And I haven't heard a whisper of it for fifth. And it's just like, please, Tell me, tell, bring this up. Everyone needs this. I don't think that was a by. I don't think that was an accident. I think that yeah. was a design choice. They wanted. It seems like they very clearly wanted some of the swinginess back. Even the 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 what do you call it? The bounded accuracy or whatnot. The ranges that they have. Mm-hmm. They're very clear. Look, there's just not that much difference between, you know a character with plus two proficiency modifier and a character who doesn't have plus two, that's 10% on a really mean D 20, the meanest yeah. of the possible. Uh, uh, and, <laughs> uh, so, so, so I, I think that was by choice. They wanted that mm. sort of tension that you have by, yeah, you, 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 you can, you can miss. That, that was one of the things that we disliked about mutants and masterminds was the D 20. Like you could potentially be awesome at something or statistically be awesome at something, but it, the dice would just hate you and nothing. Yep, yep. Right. I think on a John Wick video, I heard Jared Soren or John Wick talk about Jared Sorensen, who's the guy who taught me that it's better to um, imply than state. Again, he never actually told me this, but I read one of his games and I'm like, oh my god, uh, that game's called Lacuna, and everybody should buy two copies of that mm-hmm. game as well by Jared Sorensen. It's that's brilliant. a good name. Um, that's a short version. The full name is like Lacuna and the myth of the girl, of blue city or something like that. But it, mm. it's awesome. Um, in any case, it, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just lost the thread because I started thinking about Lacuna being such no a worries. Great game. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys are working on PNP or going back to the superhero genre in general, was there some formative character or event or company or anything that cemented your love for the superhero genre or do you like reference material as you're writing because you guys are doing a setting book as well correct we're doing a gentle setting book right uh uh, yes which uh um, and it's that's part of the kickstarter that's coming out everybody who uh, backed is going to get it it's the pinnacle city's most wanted which is a collection of villains uh, but within the collection of villains, those are villains are all connected to our sort of loose setting called uh, the Pinnacle City Universe, 
sort of centered around Pinnacle City. And among in that collection, there's every villain has like a location, you know, an adventure idea. So we again sort of circling back rather than hitting you with a hundred page atlas of my superhero world, you don't Thank want you. to read my superhero world. I don't <laughs> want to read superhero world. I understand. But instead what I can give you is some again, sort of actionable stuff. Here's a bad guy or here's a bad gal and here's a place that they're connected to. Even if you don't like Pinnacle City, that might be an interesting place that you could pick up and drop in your own city in the real world or in the city of some intellectual property that I'm not going to mention because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> so um, is there one formative thing? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, for me, the answer is no. I can say, obviously, Marvel and DC and all their heroes uh, even some of the independents, um, I can say other superhero RPGs, including Jeff D's Villains and Vigilantes, which is terrific, um, and of course Champions, and of course you know Marvel, and and for that matter, of course DC Heroes, which blew us all away with this system of doubling every rank, and they'll put Superman and Robin on the same spectrum, which was yeah. mind blowing first came out. <laughs> Um, so I'm a big fan of RPGs in general and of superhero RPGs and how they've done it. And so there's no one thing. I think everything kind of smooshed together. Right. Yeah. Well, to extend the genre conversation a little bit in a different direction, how do you respond now um, creatively to the sheer glut of superhero material that's on the big screen and, and, and all of that, there's just so much more material. And I, I wonder if when you're working on P and P you feel any obligation or desire to respond to that in some way. Oh Lord. No, I just do what I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good answer. But, Good answer. But, but the unfortunate downside of that is, as I mentioned previously, I'm a hoe and I like a lot of different things. So, you know, I like the superhero TV shows. I like the superhero movies, most of them. I like the comic books that I grew up with, the John Byrne X-Men, the Jim Lee uh, X-Men. You know, I remember when X-Men was popular. Nobody liked Avengers. I, I, you know, so, um, but I love what's happening. With, so um, I'm informed by all of it. I think I might have done something different if I grew up with the movies. Mm. Because the movies, by... I think inherent in the fact that you're seeing real people, no matter how good our special effects are, inherent in the fact that you're seeing real people, there's probably a different level of, for lack of a better word, realism in your thought mm -hmm. than, uh, than if you're raised with seeing it in a comic book. So I think it might have informed a different design philosophy to some extent. Um, yeah. know, but, but, but I am as old as I am, and I was raised with what I was raised. And so... Um, so I don't think that the particular media or the particular elements of one thing or another, you know, inform it any more than like the Hercules and Xena TV show mm. design. And by the way, the Hercules and Xena TV show have informed the design of this product and yeah. probably Melrose supernatural, the TV show and the dynamic between Sam and, and Dean has informed this product. And, um, you know, probably Melrose Place and 90210 from <laughs> as informed the design of this product. Just uh, in, influence creeps in from everywhere, huh? It, I think it's impossible for it not to. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that just makes your world richer no matter what you're doing instead of, you know, saying I can only take from this one specific source, like take from everything. 
Yeah, and there's different people are going to bring different things to it. They're going to be looking for different things from it. And I think the only risk you have when you're doing something like this is trying to cover everything. Like right mm -hmm. now, I am working on something that is not for publication, at least at this point. But it's something that I'm doing so I can use this system for sort of lower power characters. But I think it requires a little bit of massage um, and a little bit of nudging to to turn to use it for people that literally don't have powers um, mm. at all. It requires a little bit in there. It's not that it's not in there, but it requires just pulling it out and sort of codifying it and so on. And I'm doing it just for some buddies and I, so we can you know play a particular game that we're playing right now. At some point, it might see the light of day in one thing or another. But um, it's very but cool. If you try to put that, what we're doing there, into the game itself, it would sort of lose its way and stop being a superhero. Game. Right, it'd just be one other additional thing that people would maybe lose focus on or, or something. Yeah, you have to know what the game is about. Yeah. You have to know what the game is about, and every single element of the game has to support whatever it is the game is about. Not just what it's about, but... The tone. Yes, Absolutely. How you are supposed to feel when you play the game. Right. Yes, that's something about what the tone, what the game is about. Yes, that's something about tone. Those things are wrapped up in it. But I literally mean as much as I can, and probably most of the time you fail and one out of every hundred you succeed. When I'm thinking about what to do or how to do it, the idea I'm thinking about is how does it feel to sit down at the table and interact with the game vis-a-vis -vis this particular rule. And if this rule doesn't make you feel as close as possible to what your character should be feeling, I have tried to design something else. Mm. I th that, that kind of points me back toward what you were saying about realism before, you know, the, the difference between having your preconceptions set by a human actor versus having them set by an, an animated figure. And the first thing that popped into my mind, the first pair was Aeon Flux and Aeon Flux, you know, <laughs> like the, just a completely different feeling watching the film with Charlize Theron, as opposed to the originals, which just felt like, am I on acid right now? What is happening? Those aren't human bodies, but they should be, you know, like just the, the total dislocation there that they lost in the film um, and they replaced it with other stuff, I guess, but it sounds like that, that like response, the gut feeling is what you're designing for in a way. Trying. Trying. Yeah, that's, that's a, you're, that's a good aspiration. You're right. The medium though is going to, the medium is going to inform your, is going to inform the genre itself. You know, I'm a massive, massive fan of like Conan, for example, and Robert Howard stories. And a lot of fellow fans are like, they want to see a movie. And I'm like, no, you I mean, I would love to see a movie. I loved the movie that came out, the movies that came out. You can't really capture on film what Howard captures in words. The closest I've ever seen anyone do to anything like that is the movie, is Fight Club. If you read the novel Fight Club and then you see the movie Fight Club, I thought the movie Fight Club was brilliant, and then I read the novel, and I realized how incredibly brilliant the movie truly was. Mm -hmm. Because the movie does visually what the novel does with words. And had I just been reading the novel and someone said, here's a here's millions of dollars, go make the movie, I would have read the novel and been like, sorry, here's your money. I, 
<laughs> the way I can do what this person did in words with a visual. But obviously, if you haven't done both, read the novel and then watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Chuck Palahniuk so, is amazing. If, uh, incredible, incredible. And so, um, but 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 it's very hard to do that. And it would take that level of artistry to translate a Robert E. Howard story into a Conan film. I, I, I don't know if I'm translating the comic book or if I'm translating the movies or maybe the just sort of the zeitgeist of what superheroes are in a larger sense and letting you do your own thing. With yeah, it. but I, yeah. I, I, I like that on a personal level, though, that you're trying to transmit, you know, a, a feeling like a guttural reaction through an RPG, through your rules and everything. Is this the character? Like, how can I sink my teeth into this character that I'm generating or this world? I just appreciate that as a player and a GM and a, you know, would-be game designer. Yeah, I Thank think you. it's I think it's very easy for us all who, you know, tinker with existing systems or try to create our own or whatever to get into the, or for me, it's easy for me <laughs> to get into this space where the mechanics this little logic puzzle and i want to build it and i want it to be clean and beautiful and then it's just like that's not what it's like at the table as you say you know it's it's messy it's back and forth you can't keep anything pristine and you shouldn't like why would you really want that so um i've tried lately to find the place where narrative drives mechanics and mechanics drive narrative like where those are less of a seam than a feedback loop and I think that by explicitly putting narrative at the forefront, PNP really, really does that in a way that makes it look easy. Whereas, you know, with a lot of other systems, it's hard. It's Thank like, you. I, I want to figure out how to make this work in this way. Like with D&D, you're just kind of dragging it along. You're like, oh, I, I want my character to be more than the person that holds the, the battle axe, you know? But I think with other systems... Uh, other systems have done it better. Yeah. Okay. But D and D does what it does so well. Yeah. It does. It does what it does so well. In fact, that everybody in every other system tries to do a version of medieval fantasy, basically of D and D, partially because of the fact that medieval fantasy outsells everything else. And yeah, you know, we, 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 college is expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, but. Uh, but I think that the other part is just that it does. D and D has done what it what it has done so well that we all want to be able to do D and D in our own systems. So yeah, can't Fair. take that away. You know, even Fair if it enough. may not do certain things that we want it to do. Right. Uh, well, with your all system, uh, just on a personal level, what what's your favorite aspect of the system that you guys have made, and what do you feel kind of still needs work or tweaking or? I don't know that I have one favorite system. Um, I like the fact that combat is fast. Um, yeah, that's much appreciated. Um, yeah, I like the fact that combat is fast. I like the flexibility of going narrative or mechanical and being able to swap at the table literally being able to swap from one player to another. Some player is more comfortable with the creativity of narrative control swapping and another player is more comfortable with, for the love of God, dude, just tell me if I succeed or fail. Yeah. You can do both. Then I'm happy with that because I hate the idea of forcing one style of play mm -hmm. on, on any, of forcing any style of play on anybody. 
So if you're running the game and you're comfortable with moving into either mode, I, I like the fact that you can do that. Is, is that my favorite element of the game? No, but I kind of like the inclusivity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that makes me happy. And is there anything that needs tweaking? Yes, everything. Everything, right. everything, everything. Yeah. You know, everything. Can anything be better? Yes. The parts between the first word and the last word. All of it can be better. <laughs> my writing, every single mechanic. You know, I have to be tackled and dragged away when it comes to putting down the pen. When, when you know, saying I, done is done. Yes. Yeah. I, I was getting the sense just from sort of skimming through the ongoing Discord conversation, like your like the PNP community. I see a lot of readers asking mechanics questions and you and the rest of the team really digging in. And so part of what I want to ask about is like in just in terms of the the time, you know, the labor. How do you handle it with your group? Like how do you decide like how much time can we afford to spend being part of this community actively responding to questions versus well, we got to write. Well, we got to make sure the layout is done by this deadline and all the logistical stuff. Like, how do you split up the work? Well, first and foremost, I need to get in front of the fact that we're way past any deadlines. Unfortunately, this is my <laughs> first sort of Kickstarter at this level. Um, this is my first Kickstarter period. I mean, Sean and the other Eagle, Eagle Beagle folks have been involved in others. You know, this is my first time at this particular rodeo. And uh, even pre-COVID-19, there were a number of things that were in place, uh, but that ended up falling through. And I don't want to go too far down that because I'll start saying lots of bad words. But uh, it is what it is. And as a result, so this you know sort of process has been significantly delayed. Um, you know, and now obviously COVID comes along. Obviously, of the catastrophe that is COVID, the delay in PNP is inconsequential but it bothers me just that you know i don't like being you guys know i was 15 minutes early for this call so i don't like being <laughs> i don't like being uh, um it's very much not me it's just kind of alien landscape so first and foremost the buck stops here there's no one to blame but me on it i apologize for that We're doing everything we can to still make it perfect and yet get it out as quickly as possible subject to the realities of right now that, Real quick, sorry, though, but I, I think that the interaction on the Discord, like Flocky was saying, helps. Even though that it's been delayed and everything, it shows that you guys are still, unlike so other many Kickstarters that have been, here's Radio Silence, nobody knows what's going on. You guys are being active in the community and saying, we care, we want to hear your guys' opinions. At least, you know, that's how it's coming across. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to clarify... I was in no way aware that you all are behind any deadline that you've set. My personal response to seeing the level of engagement on on the Discord is like my my introvert brain is like, oh god, I would melt. My skull would crack <laughs> open. There's no way I I could do that. So I'm just wondering how you manage it among yourselves. Not a critique. No, I I didn't take it as such, but I thought it was appropriate for me to. I couldn't even discuss this without mentioning that and again getting. Mm. And no, no, we're not going anywhere. I'm in the lust. Good Lord decides it's time. The fact of the matter is, you know, this is getting out and this is getting to everybody. And that would happen if I had to take money out of my own pocket and do it. Luckily, that's not the situation at all. We were fortunate to, 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 to get what we needed and then some. So that's terrific. It's just a question of time. Now, that's the one element I uh, control. And again, it's not time on our end, but time on other folks who are involved in the process. We're you know, waiting for things back. And that's all we can do. 
Uh, but to circle back to your question about how do you balance it, you know, Sean really is the one who's the sort of front face man of this. He's the one who's very active in on uh, you know social media in general. I am much less active. I will pop on and do what I can, answer whatever questions I can. Uh, but generally, Sean has been sort of the the, the client facing person here, and uh, how he does what he does in terms of managing his time. Good luck figuring that one out. I got <laughs> so, but for me, it's just, you know, when I can, I pop on to check to make sure that there's no unanswered questions or that no one has answered anything incorrectly, which chaps my behind. So, um, uh, but, but honestly, that's it. I just, just sort of pop in when I can, but obviously it's balanced between, you know, what I actually do for a living, spending time with my wonderful family uh, and, you know, spending some time with my, my local game group and sort of keeping those things active and who I inflict everything on first. So they deserve kindness, uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if I answered the question effectively. But that's yeah, good. no, I, I I think so. Lots of context, tons of context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love it. Kind of a, I think you've already mostly addressed this, but about how many different games or systems are you currently working on, or do you normally work on? I know a lot of people, creatives, are. I can't focus on this one specific thing. I've got 18 different ideas and I fiddle a little bit with this and that. Are you kind of in the same boat or? Yes. Uh, I mean, this project is not something that I'm working on right now. I mean, I'm working on it, but not in the context that you're mentioning, mm -hmm. you know, because this project, at least from, from what we can do on our end is basically done. Up right. To, you know, at this point we're waiting. Um, so don't get me wrong, the having given all the supporters the waiting room edition and having people play and then people give, having given us commentary and my inability to put down the paintbrush means I've gone back. And in fact, even though the material was edited and ready to go as a result of feedback we've gotten and some massaging as a result of that feedback and so on, I felt it incumbent to require a full re-edit. So we're about to get it in the hands of a of an editor for what is this a third edit of the entire manuscript? But but you know it's gonna again sort of bother me if there's a single typo. Yeah, I, had, yeah. I know I'm gonna have to deal and drink some Jack and Coke about the <laughs> fact that there almost is gonna be one, but it's still gonna bother me. So um, so in any case, this particular project isn't something I would describe in the same way as Tinkering. But how many things I work on at a time? Usually there's one primary, one secondary, and then a lot of Tinkering. So I've got ideas for, I've got to finish up the one that's like the one 200 plus pages that's just for me and my friends because mm -hmm. I have to pay for it. I just have to finish it because it's an absolute labor of love. But then additionally, there's modifications and different versions of Furies that are sort of cooking. There are potential expansions of P&P, uh, not expansions, what do you want to call it? Campaign books or Ways to use this dumb game in different ways. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. an idea I have for like the PFP game I'm doing right now with my friends. Maybe at some point we're going to do something with it. Or maybe I'll have, give it to somebody else because there's a, a number of different folks who want to use the PFP license for, for a not quite superhero but related to superhero game. Mm -hmm. um, and inevitably, I have one of those people who has trouble sleeping and I'll wake up at night going, you know what? This might be a way I can do Mecca for Fury. Scribble, 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 scribble. Uh, or I will look at a game from somebody else that I like a lot, but I want to change and start thinking about tweaks for that. Yeah, um, 
and that kind of actually leads into another question I had. Like, you know, it's obviously still in the early phases and, you know, not officially released yet, but, you know, thoughts of considering like a generic system book for it or, um, you know, being that it's so open already. Um, I don't know about a generic system book. I think, again, college is expensive, so anything's possible. Mm -hmm. But um, honestly, I'm not sure that that would necessarily do anyone a service. Right. I, I personally, look, if somebody wants to do it and they, I think, could do a good job of it, I don't know that I would tell them, no, you can't. I personally would find it much more interesting to have myself and other people do specific books that that are about a specific setting okay yeah yeah you know, somebody wants to do a i don't know how much details i can go into so i probably can't go into details but there are specific settings that are already in the works and i okay. think that i find reading a specific setting book much more interesting right um, and all the rules even the rule suggestions and uh, tweaks they're much more effective and much more flavorful and much more along the lines I was talking about, about getting, creating the right feeling yeah. when they're designed for a specific genre than when they're generic. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to beat Savage Worlds slash GURPS for, you know, here's your generic game for you can do anything with. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather, my preference is more, a little bit more specificity, you know, but if somebody wanted to, I'd have to talk to them. <laughs> That's completely understandable because, yeah, because I, I, I see what you're saying with all of that. I think I just like writing what I like reading. Right, what you love. My uh, introduction, I think, to the more narrative-focused game was Fate. And then um, the Fantasy Flight drama dice thing, whatever they call that. I'm wondering if you, like saw things like that out there in the world thought like yeah i can do something like this or uh if it was more of if there was some other way that you got there because i think most of us i imagine most of us start with more rules heavy systems and sort of graduate or liberate ourselves to something more narrative based does that check out for you or I'm not in my 20s. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so when I started gaming, there was what there was. And uh, it was not light and fluffy narrative. Now, I will tell you that pretty quickly, the Indiana Jones role-playing game came out. And the original TSR Conan games came out. And both of those I was not especially impressed with back then. And I look at now and I'm like, wow. Those are some really – people will still laugh about it that I think the Indiana Jones RPG is a great game. But for the time it came out, it's attempted to be cinematic by ignoring all this 90% of everything and just – it wasn't perfect by any stretch. But man, it did some impressive stuff that wasn't – that took simulationism and kicked it right where this, you know, where it hurts. Yeah. Um, and that's impressive. <laughs> so um, – but yes, to answer your question, I – Started with the crunchier and then eventually sort of, you know, moved over to, to, to narrative when somebody started making up narrative stuff, when I stumbled across it. Um, what was your well, gateway RPG? Like, what got? What was the first one that you played that got you hooked? Into RPGs in general or mm -hmm. narrative? Uh, RPGs, RPGs in general. Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. There was, a, there was an article in Dynamite Magazine 
I think it's an episode where Gil Gerard and Wilma Deering of Buck Rogers were on the cover, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure I'm not mistaken, actually. And I think in that in that magazine was an article about Dungeons and Dragons. And that article would cement my virginity for years. Um, and also, uh, you know, send me off on a on a, uh, a hobby that has given me an incredible amount of joy uh, and that I can now share with my kids. All kidding aside. That's awesome. Yes, Dungeons and Dragons. But. I hope one day my little one is asked me to to run a game of something. <laughs> I tried. I, I, no, I, I have, you know, I'm not going to push it though. I mean, I want them to be them. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, right now, you know, and they like they got two boys. They like heroes or whatever. I actually have two superhero characters, uh, one Spider Man and one of Hulk, using P and P, but simplified, like kind of modified P and P rules, just so that they can, you know, so they can play Spider Man and Hulk. It mm-hmm. seem to dig that but uh will they stick with it yeah i don't know right <laughs> it's it's hard to get across the generational gaps sometimes like when i was young i tried to get my father to be interested in dungeons and dragons but he's a very serious dude so when i was like all right dad what kind of character are you going to be he goes i'm, I'm going to play an armenian rug merchant and I was like, no, you have to be a, a, a wizard or something. And he's like, no, I, I'm going to be an Armenian rug merchant. And that just, I was like, all right, forget it. Forget it. Oh, that brought, that brings to my, my father passed a, 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 many years ago, but it's still, you know, this is still there. And uh, there's a story that I always, that always brings a smile. My father, brilliant guy. Genius clearly skips a generation, but my father was a brilliant guy. And when I talked to him about this whole D&D stuff, and about the thing he's like hmm and he went off and he came back with an idea and he's like so there's this town in the middle and there's these witches and they're over here and then he had basically come up with an idea of a scenario where there was a town and there were some witches and there was another faction here and there were different sort of factions that had different interests and whatever and i'm you know 11 or 12 or whatever and an idiot and i'm like no dad you don't get it there's like there needs to be like a dungeon and whatever he basically came up with the kind of thing that we sort of use now the mm-hmm. kind of like here's the scenario here's the factions and whatever so he's like this mm-hmm. is you know so absolutely no idea that he was doing it he sort of glanced at this and said this is adorable let me leapfrog about 35 years and of course <laughs> i was like no dad you just you don't get it or whatever and i, I think back now and i'm like ah. uh, you were thinking seven samurai he was on yojimbo or something like that <laughs> Wow, that's a solid, that's a solid analogy right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so, so uh, off on tangents. D&D was the first. D&D, and probably something by John Wick may have, I think if you look at the introduction, it's been a little bit now, but I think the introduction of the narrative toolbox, D&T, speaks to the fact that I think it was John Wick, a John Wick game. It might have been Wilderness of Mirrors, in fact. Um, great game. You should absolutely get it. It's a very, very, very skinny little game too. It's just, it's, but it's a great simple game. But I think it might have been Wilderness of Mirrors that sort of introduced me to the idea of narrative control. But I, you know what? I think I wrote that in TNT. But now that I think about it, there was another game. I've never seen this guy do anything else. I don't remember what the game is called. But I think there was a game about like Greek myths, um, and I think there was a narrative control mechanism in that game. I don't. I want to say it's called Arete, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, but it was sort of 
laid out Arate. Length, Arate, maybe, yeah, it's laid out lengthwise and this could all be a fever dream, but I don't think it is. And I think that the, the, this actually had the first narrative control thing that I, I, I stumbled across. And then I came across the John Wick videos, not the play dirty, but the, the Vaca, Vaca, the Santa Vaca videos. Okay. And I think that all kind of tumbled from there. Yeah. We spent our yeah. mi- misspent youth uh, playing vampire and white wolf games. Of course. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, college, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was definitely my my progression. My friend's dad, I think he was exposed to D and D when he was in the army in the seventies, and you know he so he brought that back home. We played like second edition when I'm you know a late middle school, early high school kid, and then you know you get to high school and things get dark, and you're like, yes, werewolf the apocalypse. That's that's how I feel. <laughs> werewolf the apocalypse got me through. A breakup that was probably the darkest time in my life. Wow. So I have to tell you, I have a very, very, very warm spot. I never played the game once. I played Vampire. I never played Werewolf of the Apocalypse once. But the original Werewolf of the Apocalypse, whoever wrote that, or the writers of that, I owe them a hug and a beer. Mm. Because um, just reading that, the whole, everything's going to burn, and screw you, I'm going to tear its throat out while it does. Mm. Wow, I needed to read that. <laughs> And it, yeah. it, it landed in my lap when I really needed to read that. So I got to tell you, it, 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 it hooked a brother up when he needed it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that is very cool. Not yeah. not very many people would have a a similar anecdote about that. <laughs> they, not, you know, they they had a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of interesting manifestations of it. I mean, there was the werewolf based card game Rage, which was innovative to me as a Magic player because in Rage. More things happen simultaneously. You have two separate decks. They did a lot of interesting stuff there. And my group, including this guy right here, but some other people I used to game with in high school, my group got our jellies mashing all the White Wolf character types together. Like, well, you're a mage, but you're a vampire. Figure it out. You know, and and all those wacky combinations. Nice. Yeah, I mean. There's a role-playing game called All of Their Strengths. It might be free, Creative Commons, but like mm-hmm. you pick, it's like a you pick two different monster types and you're a mash of two different monster types. And you oh, have, you have to check it out. I haven't I have played it. Down. It's a GMless game. It might be, it might be a little bit too out there for me not to play. But I'm like, I'm old. I needed somebody to walk my hand through it. It's like you uh-huh. know, uh, uh, but uh, but um, but it's all of their strengths. Maybe something you that's want to- a great name i mean that just speaks to the wonderful diversity in game design now i mean the fact that there are games out there that are like this is a one-page pdf this is all you have and and the one i'm thinking of is called big motherfucking crab truckers where you're you are you are crab people in a post-apocalyptic world you worship the crab goddess and you move stuff in semi trucks and that's I the game i don't own this game i have to i have to get this game more off the phone it exists. I'm it's sure. There. Well, John it's Harper just... is the king of the one page of the short free games with mm. his things and feelings. And, you know, then he came out and did Blades in the Dark and, you know. Oh, okay. Blades in the Dark know, is solid. You just have to genuflect because it's, it's incredible. Yeah. But uh, but before he did that, he just did a bunch of – he also did, uh, what do you call it, Lady Blackbird, which yeah. is fantastic free game. Uh, uh, um, and again, shows how much you can design 
with using negative space, how much you can design mm -hmm. lying rather than we don't need 300 pages about the black, the world of Lady Blackbird. And if you do it, you will bore me to tears. Yeah. But there's yeah. so much implied about the world of Lady Blackbird in Lady Blackbird. There's enough to let you go. Yeah. And that's, I love that style of design. And real quick, that's going to roll me back to PNP is I love how you guys implied or added abstraction to what other systems do is crunch with like movement. You just have like close and range and extreme. And I, I love that. It's not like you have to measure, you know, so every so often, like we do a D and D game as well. Okay. This is fun tactically to kind of move this around and everything, but because superheroes are so wide and so versatile, give us this large space of abstract movement. It's, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that, that part of it. Yeah. Felt, felt, felt familiar. I, I remembered reading the way you guys do it. I remember the way fate does it, which is similarly abstract. And to me, that's like, that's what, it, that's where it's at. I will definitely calculate range in Drew's D and D game because he makes 3d models. Uh, and so five, you know, a little five yeah. yard of a little five foot square is interesting because it could be up or down. There's a piece of cardboard there and it's painted and everything. But generally, like when I run D&D, I don't want to calculate range, but I have to, to, to carry out the system as intended. And like, that's a thing that people hook into. So yeah, I mean, hooray for abstraction, right? Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I have found that some games that attempt to use abstraction to simplify end up complicating gameplay mm. because if you're just abstracting things in and of itself isn't enough you have to figure out how the abstraction works and actually i owe a lot to sean in this regard because my impulse in terms of working with the abstraction was it was it was fiddlier let's call it that and Sean kept coming back to me and he's like, no, no, don't want to pay attention to this. I don't even want to read this. And at some point I was just like, dude, come on. What do you, and, and he kept just being unhappy with it. And he's actually made, I may be the, you know, I may have designed the first and sort of been the lead on this, but he actually play tested the game more than I have, a lot more probably. And among large groups. And he loves, I like intimate games, like four players, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, Sean is like 18 people at the table. Bring it. Oh, my God. You know, you know, he's, oh, a mad, man. he's a madman. He's a madman. And he doesn't really want everybody to have a good time, and he wants to pay attention to everybody and make sure everybody gets their moment, and everybody gets to, you know, fight 15 minions as well as – he's a madman. That sounds um, exhausting. So he was like, at the table, it's just too much. It's just, it's just too much. And so – I really owe a lot to him in that particular element that he kept hammering me and we kept simplifying it, simplifying it. Because I do believe sometimes when you look at the rules for the abstraction, like to go from this range to this range, you need one move, but to go from this range to this range, you need two moves. And then, but to go back from this range to this, like, Jesus Christ, just give me 20 feet at that point. It's easy. Yeah. I so, know what 20 feet looks like. Honestly, yes. Sometimes I think the abstraction ends up being more complex. Mm -hmm. Think when you're dealing with characters who can fly and teleport and walk on walls and so on. You can do the precision pretty easily, but I don't think it does the genre justice. Yeah. I think Heard. what it boils down to is I just don't think it does the genre justice because, yeah, it, it just, 
no, nah, they need to be where they need to be. You know, if it's mm-hmm. too far, okay. You know, at the end of the day, my the movement rules boil, boil down to yeah, or I call bullshit. I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> what, the, what it boils yeah. down. But in a supers, isn't that kind of really what it boils down to? You know, but anything short of supers, I don't know. I kind of feel sometimes it just just on how far it can move. The no. GM tells me if that's far enough or not. Yeah. Yeah. And one last question uh, for me, and and me and Flocky both have talked about this is the brilliance and the appreciation we have for your guys minions with just giving them threat that's so amazing because as we talked about when our system switch episode of mutants and masterminds and these supers are supposed to be able to plow through all these guys but you can't and but you guys did it so eloquently yeah i mean i i i i really appreciate the fact that in in mutants and masterminds and in pnp i think i've i've recaptured this it is it is possible to build a superhero who can have the who who can get curb stomped by a regular (laughs) dude because my guy the puppeteer is a total weakling and several times back when this was a tabletop game and drew ran it he got his ass whooped just by dudes, just just guys, and uh, so embarrassing. But what's what's weird about that is like if you wanna if you wanna prevent that, or if you wanna enable that in those other systems, you need to be careful, especially when you have a big swingy die like the D twenty. It's like I want this mook to be able to beat up Puppeteer but not beat up Kinetica. So I need to give him like about a plus five to make sure it typically even – y'all just – you know. and then when you're the storyteller, you look in the back of the templates and you're like, this template doesn't seem quite right to me. I want to move this around here and you're solving the, the that Rubik's Cube for hours. But no, threat, you're done. I love it. I'm 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 glad you like it. I'm glad you like it. It doesn't come from brilliance. It comes from sheer laziness. <laughs> I don't. I I just. I realized while playing the game, I was just and other games that I have designed that are sort of based on the same engine. That I was just like, look, I could make up NPCs or I could drink tonight. Uh, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out at the table tomorrow. And that's then at the well table said. tomorrow, I was basically working with one die code. And that was really because what they were, what these guys were doing was attacking and dodging. Mm-hmm. What I mean, that's why I'm like, well, heck, let's just codify this. And I don't know if you've sort of seen if your version has the super move rules, but if it does, that's so. a yeah, that's a cheaty way of basically making minions turning minions into foes or villains with basically a second number. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it is a very very easy way to. Um, I, I like reducing the load on the GM as much as possible. So yeah. very easy way to do that. So I'm I'm glad you like it. I'm glad it works for you. It's not perfect, but but I'm happy you found it gets the job done for, for you guys. Yeah. I mean we had we we used to have so much fun playing Exalted Second Edition. Well, first and then second, but supposedly, you know, part of their system is very similar. They have extras. And supposedly the rules are simplified, but they're not that simplified. And so, you know, the idea that you you really have lightened the burden is very clear to me. I mean, not even I, I haven't run anything in PNP yet, but I can already tell 
just having that weight off is going to free up a lot more time to do what's important at the table, which is engage with people and not check your math. You know, I mean, like, sure, it's fun to introduce um, the, the mathematical entropy of the dice into the system. I mean, that that represents something important, but you don't want to be worried about making all these mistakes with it. And well, so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank oh. you. <laughs> well, Flock, you got any last questions or anything? I've I've said quite enough, I think. Well, Lynn, it was a pleasure talking to you, picking your brain, getting some Absolutely. insights to your guys, you know, systems and company and everything. We're super looking forward to, you know, moving our, our tail along using your guys' system. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting and I'm uh, always flattering and always heartwarming to have somebody say that, uh, you know, uh, that anything I put together or that, you know, we put together makes people happy. Uh, at the end of the day, that's uh, kind of the reason for it. So, you know, nobody's getting rich off this. Nobody, I made jokes about college fun, but we all know that this is basically just something to do because it's fun to do. And yeah. if it makes people happy in the process, hell, I'll take that. Right. Uh, so, so you know, I'm flattered and, and thank you very much. And don't be mad at the slight tweaks you're going to see in the final version between, because I already, anyway, I'm listening to the podcast and I'm like, the cap on that is actually 16 dice. Do I tell them? Nah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, but, uh, but honestly, thank you. It's been a blast. Yeah, yeah, and you know if you you know if you find the time for a guest appearance, we'd be happy to introduce you to Stringersburg. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, let me let me know ahead of time or whatever, and we'll definitely see what we can do. All right. Cool.